The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Elder P, P Nate, Garage Mahal, living the dream. Living I appreciate dream. being invited back after the short mutiny that was Chris and Jordan trying to uh, take hold of the ship. Yeah, we we tried. We commandeered it for a little while, yeah. and you know what? We didn't like it. We test drove it, and we just it didn't sit right. So we brought you back. Yeah, and and listenership it, was way down. <laughs> Air Jordan's dead. <laughs> I brought you back because you're my favorite. And uh, <laughs> don't, tell, don't tell the others. Yeah. Uh, people probably don't know this, but that's like kind of like your secret line that I've done stole for other people is that you'd say this to all the staff at our church all the time. And just like, you're my favorite. Don't tell the others. I, then, I say it to everybody in our church. Yeah, <laughs> I, I often say it to people in our church until just right now. I don't think word had gotten around. I think everybody literally thought they were my favorite. So thank you for outing me. Yeah, but I, I, Dave, I, I, did, Dave, I did that. I want you to take this out of the episode. And by the way, you're my favorite. Don't tell anyone else. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm your favorite other than your kids and your wife and yeah. all those other people. It's good to be back. It's uh, It was a, a little bit of a hiatus, but uh, yeah, it was good to be back. Thanks for uh, Air Jordan and, uh, and Elder P for holding down the fort. We kind of come back with a bit of an episode where we're going to wrap up some things that, it, that were kind of left hanging, and that is just the biblical cosmology stuff. We got a ton of emails, so we kind of want to just talk through, I guess, listener interactions. Uh, there's, I guess, some praise reports, some questions, some cool stuff that we want to share. Of course, the praise reports and, and some of those stories, we're not going to name any names or anything, but I think they're actually helpful because they'll actually help us to pull out some practical application of the of the biblical cosmology series as well. So Amen. do you want to just jump right into it? Might as well. All right. So we did get a question. Um, when it's just a question, I don't mind uh, giving at least the first name. So we got an email from a guy named Justin. Wonderful email. So thanks so much. We love hearing from you guys. So send us emails. I know it often takes us a while to get back to you or we don't necessarily always respond to you, but we will get either get back to you or talk about it on air. But, yeah. but. We are a little faster to respond on Facebook Messenger. That, that is true. Um, so like if you're wanting... That's because Chris does that and I do the email and he's far more administrative. Thanks for not outing me, but I will just say that's, yeah, that's you, why. You if you're wanting like a response like quickly, to a quick question do, do or, it yeah. that way. It won't be like same day maybe necessarily, but um, that's the quickest way to get, get in touch with us. Yeah. But if you do have longer emails like our friend Justin here, um, then you can email us at rebelpodcastflf. That's uh, rebelpodcast, like fight, laugh, feast at gmail.com. Rebelpodcastflf at gmail.com. Anyway, uh, Justin uh, was enjoying the Biblical Cosmology series and was helped by, I don't know if we referenced these or not, but uh, he does, he references them as well. There's a Bible Project podcast, and they have two episodes that are also about the lesser gods. They both aired in 2018, in, what is that, uh, July of 2018. 
So one of them is called God or Gods, and the other one is called No Other God. So he references those. I've listened to those podcasts. I often do listen to the Bible Project, and they're pretty solid. So anyway, I appreciate all the interaction. And his question was, his wife homeschools their kids. Good on you, Justin. They're going through some curriculum that talks a little bit about Greek mythology. So basically, his question is, um, assuming they talk about Greek mythology and Greek gods, do you think it would be helpful for their little minds and for my wife to understand that those Greek gods were likely spirit beings and lesser gods created by God or just leave them as myth and legend? So that's a great question. And imagine, and I don't know, Justin didn't really necessarily say when exactly he came to this uh, this whole understanding, but obviously he was listening to those podcasts a while ago and, and our, our stuff was, was helpful for him. But I mean, think about it in your terms, Chris, like this was fairly new to you, I think this year, right? Like when I was speaking uh, through, or I guess last year when I was speaking <coughs> through Genesis, that was fairly new to you, was it not? Non-tenant. Yeah, and, the non-tenant and, yeah, stuff like, and that was all like kind of last summer. That was, yeah, fairly new because it's not taught, right? Like so, right. and then you just start piecing those things together. When you're reading scripture and you read through things of like, because it does say lesser gods and like yeah. oftentimes because it's not taught what that actually means, we just naturally be like, oh, that's demons, not really a like deity or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, so we just explain it away kind of in, in our head. So this is a, a new thing. To answer Justin's question, like, because I think he's asking, when do we teach this to our kids? Yeah. Right? Like, I would say my methodology for this would be similar to like Santa Claus. You know what I mean? Like, don't shy away from pretending that these things are real, but we also don't need to go into like, Santa Claus sorry, I was just going to yeah, say, yeah. so are you asserting um, that Santa Claus isn't factory Chris? <laughs> and he? which lesser God is he? I, I was which demon like, God is, is St. Nicholas? <laughs> uh, there's somebody that's going to email us and say Yeah, Satan. totally. What I was meaning by that is in terms of like, you never want to portray things as myth that are true. Yeah, don't lie um, to your kids. Exactly, because like the hard process for kids is like, well, what about Jesus then? That's exactly and right, yeah. all these miraculous things. So we can teach them that, but I wouldn't go into specifics of like, Bale has taken over the U.S. and things like that. Like, <laughs> well, but, or even like that. Like, oh, you know, the biblical god Baal is very likely connected to Zeus. Zeus is likely Baal of the Old Testament. I wouldn't get into that stuff. I agree with you. Yeah. I would say when the question comes up, are these stories? Like, is this fairy tale? The actual answer to that question is yes. I mean, there are fairy tales in this. Do they reflect truth? Like when Zeus comes down and he becomes a swan to impregnate another swan. Like, yes, those are fairy tales. Those those aren't exactly what happened, but they mimic this idea of celestial rebels that come down and corrupt humanity and corrupt creation. So what I would say is I'm teaching those things when they ask that inevitable question, what was this? is to teach your kids a biblical cosmology in that we know that there were celestial beings, powerful angels, right? That some of them rebelled, some of them are evil. We call them demons. Some of them remain loyal to God, just like we remain loyal to God. And just like there are humans who are enemies of God and humans who are loyal servants of God, there are celestial beings, angels. We call them angels and demons. I would have no problem kind of saying like, well, these are exaggerated or these are made up stories about demons. I would have no problem saying stuff like that. But I wouldn't lead with that. I wouldn't be like, here, we're going to tell you a bunch of mythological stories that surround the truth about demons who fell. Teach it as Greek mythology. Say there were people who believed in many gods. We only believe in one god, but we do know that there are other celestial beings. Other people have called them gods, but we know there's only one god on high. 
And then I would just say, we can call them demons, because what you don't want to do is is confuse the category of God in the minds of your kids, right? Let that category settle in the minds of your kids before you start introducing caveats to it. So even from the pulpit, often, whenever I'm going to use the term for the other gods, I don't use the term other gods or even lesser gods. Chris can attest to this. Oftentimes, when I use that from the pulpit, I'll say the demon gods of the culture, the demon gods of the world or whatever. I'll always use the term demon for God because I don't want to confuse the category of God in the minds of young Christians or immature minds, whether that's young kids who are in our services or even adults who have immature Christian minds. Yeah, I would say it's exactly right, too, because our culture makes good and evil equal and opposing forces. And so like if you watch like Star Wars, Darth Vader's as strong as Luke. And that's the opposite of what scripture says. Like that's there right. is there is the one God who is sovereign over all yeah. things, including the actions of the demon gods, not responsible for them, but governance-wise, he's in charge of it. And so like the problem when you're explaining an evil force to a kid, and we've heard this that like the idea of like people kind of try to explain like, oh, like Satan's like kind of the, the opposite side of the coin of God. I'm like, no, no, yeah, that's not how is, that works. This isn't yin, yin and yang. Exactly. Here, but, folks. but everything kids are watching generally do portray that equal and opposing force yeah. story. So it's easy in a kid's mind to categorize Satan as equally as powerful that's right. as God. And that's the opposite of what it, what is true. So I think what you're saying is bang on in terms of like, don't muddy the waters when you don't need to, if that makes yep. sense. Obviously, as they age, you can have more complex conversations. Absolutely. And just like scripture does and the spirit does with us while we read scripture, just because we don't reveal everything day one to a child doesn't mean that we're not going to reveal this to them later. They can get a foundation before they see the windows on the house, so to speak. That's exactly right. What you don't want to do, though, is tear up the foundation. Right? So that's, that's why we say, don't lie to your kids. Don't tell them this is all just fairy tale. This is all just whatever. Find a way to explain it, that other cultures looked at these as gods. They're just stories that have been made up. We know that God created the world full of angels and full of demons. So there are other non-human beings, right? They're spiritual beings. And we know that they exist. And some of these stories might have reflected some of those things. But, and be really, really clear at solidifying in your kids the creature-creator divide. Yeah. And you can do that right in Genesis. Absolutely. So God comes down, Adam and Eve are hiding from them after sin. What does he do? Is he curses man, curses Eve, and then curses the Satan, yes. yeah. the serpent. So when the kid reads the story, I'm like, oh, the serpent, their minds might think he's the enemy force opposed to God, but it's like, no, no, God still was sovereign over to yeah. make a proclamation and a prophecy about him as well, yeah, which right. means he has control over the, over the situation. Yeah. And so like you can even then as you're setting the foundations properly in terms of like the order of, of hierarchy, because you're going to have a hard enough time explaining the Trinity to a child. Yeah. So. so my son is six and he loves Ninja Turtles. He loves G.I. Joe. He loves like those kinds of shows one of the things that I always reiterate to him is good guys always win, right? Because God created the world, good guys always win. Now, he hasn't watched any cartoons or anything yet where the bad guys win, and I'm sure they're out there now, and there's movies like Arlington Road and some of those things where the bad guys win. Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. It's a, it's a pretty fantastic good movie, yeah. movie. So there are things are out there, but generally speaking, I mean, and this is why art reflects reality, is because most people know that the kind of movies people want to watch is the good guys do win at the end. But I always say that to Judah. But what we also are very clear with our kids is that we use the language of upside down and right side up world, 
right? That God created the world, that sin turns it upside down. But when we know the truth, which means we know that the truth giver, we know Christ, we live in the world right side up. So even when they're friends and stuff, and we've had our kids come home and say, oh, so-and-so told me that two girls can get married or two boys can get married. And we would say, but what world do they live in? And they're like, they live in the upside down world. That's right. They see the world upside down. We see the world right side up. What does God say in the right side up world? Boys marry girls, girls marry boys. So that's the kind of language that we use for them. And so even if they were to watch something and it was sort of like, yeah, the bad guys win in it, I would say, well, obviously the person who made that movie or obviously the person who wrote that book or obviously the person who whatever lives in the upside down world, right, son? So that's how we've helped our kids categorize things and how we explain. Yeah. And, and even that's a biblical way to explain Amen. things. Yeah. God says the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, yep. which means the beginning of being foolish is the opposite Fool of that. Fool says so in his like, heart there is no God. Exactly. So you're not saying there are two different worlds. You're saying there's a world that the fools run, and yeah. then there's the world that's yeah. wise. And, yeah. and so They're we trying live to in live the, in, a, in exactly. an upside-down world, but God turned it right side up. Exactly. Yeah. They're living foolishly. Yeah. So Justin did go on to ask one more question, which I don't oh, know nice. if we'll talk about quite as long, but he, does say, he said that his, uh, his five-year-old, I think daughter, asked him a, a good question. Does God love Satan? So her logic was that he loves us even when we do bad things. So does God love Satan? He says, my answer was that God does because when he created things, he said it was good. And Satan was good and worshiped God for a time until he became prideful and rebelled against God. So God loves Satan, but Satan doesn't love God. What do you think about that answer? I think that's one of those tough questions because the kid is asking a very honest question, yeah. but the, to answer the question, I think becomes a heady response. I think there was a time when God, cause he is right. God loves all of his creation in he, a sense, in a sense. And he, he did create everything at one time was very good, but we don't specifically know when Satan fell. Did he fall right. before humans were created? We don't know when that was. And then there is that category. Like obviously Romans nine says, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. Yeah. There is a sense that God hates those who aren't in him. So if you were asking me now, I'd say, no, he hates Satan. And he has to because he has to display his wrath and his righteous anger towards sin. But I think you could categorize there's probably a time where that wouldn't have been the, the way case. the way to say that. So here's how I've answered the question. So we I've had never heard my, that question before. Yeah, it's a great question. So I mean, Justin, like, how cool is it that we have kids who are are wrestling with like tough things and ask tough questions? Like, no weeks go by where my wife doesn't come in and say, uh, "I need your help with this question," because <laughs> like kids ask these questions, right? And I think just for a little background, I grew up in a Christian home where these questions weren't answered to me. And even when I asked things like, "How do we know God is real?" the answers I would get was, "Well, can't you feel Him during worship?" There weren't actual honest responses responses to my honest questions, and it really did create a seed of doubt in me. So I would just say, like, taking time to answer your kids' questions, even if it's 15 minutes past their bedtime, is like one of the most practical and important jobs a mom and dad can do. So my kids, Quinn is the oldest, Judah is, is our middle son, and Quinn is a little bit more gray, and Judah is like black and white. Judah is like, he's the rule follower. Now, interestingly, the rules generally apply to others and not to him, but he gets really upset when people don't follow rules. <laughs> And so it's interesting because they were talking about one of their friends, and my kids are great little evangelists. They were telling, uh, they were inviting her out to church, and and then of course Judah comes along and says, "Because if you don't come to church, you're going to hell, right?" And it's just like, "Okay, Judah, like you know, you're I don't want to, I don't want to quench your enthusiasm, uh, but you know, let's." But it was interesting. So we end up talking, and that question came up. So this uh, neighbor of ours, I, I won't use her real name. Let's call her Sarah. So the question was, "Does God love Sarah?" 
And so Quinn asked me this. So you'll like this because I, I used your wife as an example here. So my answer to her was, okay, does daddy love mommy? Yes, absolutely. Okay, does daddy love Aunt Heather? Yes. Do I love them in the same way? No, right? So I said, I love your mom in a special kind of way, right? I love you guys and I love your cousins, my nieces and nephews, but I love you guys in a different kind of way. So God loves his creation and called it very good because it is his creation, right? There is a way in which he loves them, but there is a unique and a special way, right? Which is why I actually like, if we're talking about the doctrines of grace, I prefer the term particular atonement rather than limited atonement because it's a particular kind of love that sent Christ to the cross for the particular people that he loves in a particular way. So I love my wife in a different way that I love your wife. I love your wife, but not in the same way. And so similarly, I would say God has a love for all of his creation, but he has a special love, which we can call a redeeming love or a saving love that is particular to those who love him, right? And so God's the one who puts that love in our hearts. And when we love him, he, he loves us in a particular way. And so then I just answer the question, you know, Sarah, we don't know where Sarah's story ends up. Right now, she doesn't love God, so he doesn't love her in the same way that he loves you. But we don't know. Maybe she will. Hopefully she will. Let's pray for her now, right? So I think that's how you can answer that question that's, that's kind of helpful to a, a young mind. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Great question, though. Yeah, great question. Okay, so here's another question. This is from uh, Eric, and Eric was just talking a little bit about the connection between Baal and Zeus. He was also familiar with Jonathan Kahn's work. He said, you said that Baal Zeus was not part of the first group of angels who intermixed with humans to form the Nephilim, but that he, along with Asherah and Moloch, came later. In my studies, it seems that Beelzebul whom both the Pharisees and Jesus refer to as the prince of demons, Satan, is the same being as Baal Zebub. The very name of Baal Zebub means Lord of Lofty Heights or Lord of the Flyers. The term Baal Zebul, later Beelzebul, is a play on words and means Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Dung Heap. Either way, it seems that Jesus and the Pharisees connected the God of the Philistines in Ekron, Baal Zebub, to the prince of demons or Satan himself. Yeah, absolutely few other points that I was hoping to discuss with you guys, perhaps have a good dialogue. In fact, I would really appreciate. So interestingly, Eric actually taught on this in his adult Sunday school class at his church. So I thought that was really interesting. I agree with him. I think that there's a connection between Baal and Zeus. So Baal, Zeus, Baal connected potentially to Satan. And then, of course, the question comes in, like, how special is Satan in the hierarchy of demons? And, and we've said and speculated, speculated yeah. that some of the New Testament infatuation with Hasatan or the, the Satan figure likely has to do with the fact, and, and you can actually trace this back to the Philistine god, Baal, god of Ekron, geographically, if you look at the place where the Roman Empire was sort of born, there's been some work on this that it's very likely that that same demonic figure, if there was a jurisdictional power that he had over there, that's where the Roman Empire was born. So history is sort of the jostling between some of these gods. So the point is that same god rises to power because Rome at that time is, is the world's superpower, which is possibly why Satan is able to take Christ onto a lofty mountain show him all the kingdoms of the earth. Well, what was the kingdom of the earth that owned the earth at the time? It was Rome. So it's very likely that Satan was the lesser god, the demon god that had jurisdictional authority over Rome at the time, which is why he's so centralized in the New Testament. It also seems like there's evidence that it would seem like he was also in charge of Egypt in the time of Pharaoh. 
Like yeah, the potentially. Symbol, some of the symbolism. Yeah, yeah like, potentially. So anyway, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. So I'm actually looking forward. I opened up the first two of uh, Eric's Sunday school class uh, stuff, and it looks like he's doing some good stuff. So we'll get back to uh, to Eric on that. Okay. So this one, I'm not going to give the name for. This is sort of a praise report, and then we'll talk a little bit about just its practical application. This is a guy who essentially, he was struggling to overcome the sin of pornography. It was a, it was a sin that he had been struggling with in secret. He's listening to the Biblical Cosmology series. He's really enjoying it. He had felt like the last two or three years, um, there's just a lot going on in their home, right? Sickness, cars breaking down, fights between him and his wife, just lots of little things. Not that they were completely unhappy, but they certainly weren't thriving. And in listening to the episode, he says, well, here I am listening to an interesting discussion about demonic spirits when one of you in just a quick comment says, men, if you are viewing pornography, you are inviting evil presence into your home, just like as if you used a Ouija board. And basically he goes on to say that God used that comment in that moment to kind of break through all of his own self-deception. He confesses to his pastor and to his wife, and um, they're in the midst of, of healing and restoration. I don't know which of us even said that. I'll take credit for it, but I'm sure you're going to also take credit for it. So we'll go back and talk. Yeah, we'll find about it. Yeah. But anyway, praise God. Like, and so I just want to say, first of all, thank you for this email. Obviously, we're not going to say the name, but like, thank you for that email and the vulnerability of sending that to us. But the reason we wanted to share it out loud is because you know that for every guy like this, there are a few people who are out there still struggling and still hiding their pornography. And so we just want to take a moment to comment on that and just say, yes. You are inviting evil presence and you are surrendering jurisdictional authority over your home where you are called to take dominion, just like Adam surrendered his jurisdictional authority to a demonic spirit because he failed to protect his home from its evil. And so absolutely, if you love your wife, if you love your kids, you will protect them from the spiritual warfare that is allowed to come into your home when you invite it in through pornography. So I would just say, praise God for this story, and I would just say, you were saying this when I was uh, sharing this uh, email with you earlier, that basically we can't just hear this stuff, we got to put it into practice. Biblical cosmology stuff can seem very heady and intellectual, but this is where sort of rubber meets the road. Yeah, and this is, I think, an example of the practicality of why it's important to know the cosmology stuff, because... Play the game for a second. If you're just looking at porn and it doesn't have any power or anything like that, all you're doing is actually just, the Bible says you're sinning against yourself, but if your wife doesn't know you're keeping it secret, whatever. But when you tie that and you link that to the cosmology that, oh, by doing this, I'm actually saying I'm inviting. Well, I'm, um, I'm giving enemy. worship exactly. to, to, to demon gods. Ab- absolutely. And, and in doing so, yeah. I'm surrendering a portion of my heart and a portion of my home to them. Yeah. I'm paying homage to That's somebody right. other than Christ, right? When you know that intellectually and then all of a sudden you're then forced to do, like it, one, it should just stop you from doing it. It also just like, it drives like a practical, I need to lick this because it's not just me I'm sinning against. It's not just harmless stuff. I'm literally inviting the enemy into my home. It's ridiculous. Like nobody as a Christian would sit and think that's an okay thing. And so it should bring to light and should push us to do things to, to eradicate. We often say one of the terms we use is a pirate term at our church, but we, we say we don't give the enemy any quarter. Yeah. And that means like we don't, we, we don't let him surrender and let him keep his, keep his stuff. We take everything from him. Yeah. When you apply that to your life, it means like, and 
you know, porn is an easy one to pick on, but there's, uh, there's tons of other ways. Like there's totally. men with secret credit cards. There's men with girlfriends. There's men with like, um, well, I know. mean, even just the satisfaction, I was, I was counseling a guy a couple of weeks ago whose wife found a conversation that he had on a social media platform with a female that he's never met. The conversation was not sexual in nature it was not inappropriate in the conversation itself but the fact that he had this like social media platform where there was an ongoing conversation with somebody who wasn't his wife was of course inappropriate and those are the kinds of small things that it's like yeah don't give the enemy a quarter because that very easily as you lie in bed sexually frustrated because your wife is pregnant and not interested in you or whatever the case those are the footholds that the enemy uses little things like the pride that you allow yourself in certain ways when you take praise and adulation from your employees the fact that you justify the temper that you have when your kids are up past their bedtime and they're asking you serious questions and you, you say, oh, I've worked all day. I, I don't want to, you know, it's I, I have a right not to parent after 8 p.m., you know. So all of those little things, absolutely. A right L- not to parent after 8, 8 p.m.? Yeah. That's a new one. Yeah. Show me the verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So again, another great, uh, this is from Josh and Leanne. I don't know if they both listen, but if so, Leanne, thank you. You're uh, one of our three female listeners. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, they had a question. Basically, uh, I'll summarize this one. They're just asking about Harry Potter. So in light of all the kind of uh, biblical cosmology series and stuff like that, the idea of like letting in evil and that sort of stuff. And he says, yes, we do read Narnia and Lord of the Rings to our kids. Um, uh, it seems, unlike Narnia and Lord of the Rings, that everything is in Harry Potter is centered around magic. And Rawlings writes about some pretty dark magic that there are reportedly authentic spells and potions in the books. I would appreciate feedback. I think it's a great story with a very important message in especially considering the times that we are in the spirit of our age. Okay, I'm going to let you talk about Harry Potter a little bit more because you actually know more about Harry Potter than I am. Thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah, here's what I will say, though. I will say that I am for plundering Egyptian libraries, not burning them. And what I mean by that is, so C.S. Lewis called these true dreams, right? The fact that there is a being made in the image of God, living in a world that he created, there are ways that we can grasp at truth, even if we are unregenerate. So there's a famous story, book came out of it called Peace Child. I'm sure you've heard about this. I'm, I'm going to butcher the names. You know, there's some uh, missionaries who are in some place and there's... Is this the one that they worship Judas? Yeah, so yeah. the missionaries shared the story of the gospel and this tribe, this sort of untouched tribe, they worshiped Judas. Judas was the hero of the story because in their culture, it was actually a celebrated virtue to be able to gain the trust of an enemy and then stab him in the back. And so they found that Judas was sort of the hero of the story. And so these missionaries lived with these people trying to kind of break through, but they couldn't get the gospel to penetrate this culture. And one of the things that they learned is there was this neighboring tribe and and they witnessed this ceremony where the chiefs actually exchanged children. And so one of the sons of the chief of the tribe that they were evangelizing essentially traded sons with the chief of, of this other tribe. And so in asking, you know, they're starting to learn the language, they're asking about it, and, and basically this, this exchange is called the exchange of the peace child, and the idea there is that because this virtue is so well known in this area among these tribes, that in order to truly establish peace, because imagine that, if you lived in a culture where it was like a virtue to stab people in the back, nobody would trust anybody, right? And that's the reality. So then if you actually wanted to truly establish peace with somebody, that they would actually exchange children with the neighboring tribe. And so the chief is like, your 
tribe's fate is linked to my son. My son's fate is linked to your tribe. We won't attack you because you have my son, which guarantees peace because we won't declare war on my own son. And so they use that and like, and so the idea there is like, this is that gospel in, even in that culture, God had, had created their culture in such a way and preserved this thing that was a gospel in for them. And then of course they called Christ the peace child who was given to, you know, rebellious and treacherous humanity. So anyway, I say all that to say that I'm for plundering pagan libraries, not burning them. And so I look at Rowling, and I don't know a ton about it. I haven't read all of the Harry Potter series. I started late. People told me to read them, and I read the first one. And I actually appreciate that Rowling sort of wrote with her audience, but the first, I guess, couple are very kiddish, and so I just never got past them because I, I kind of missed the window on when they'd be super relevant or really exciting for me. So I'll let you talk about it in general, whether or not you think that there's anything dangerous in there, and then we'll kind of try to tie a bow on it. Yeah, I'm with you on the plundering, and I think I advocate a lot about not, not canceling things. Now, obviously, we cancel sin, but so the way I'm kind of looking at this, me and Jordan talked about Harry Potter on our, our Nerd Out episode, which this question probably came before that or right after. I would say that I'm all for plundering, but don't let Harry Potter be the thing that's teaching your children. And so, like, it's one of those those things, like, we can't draw the line on Harry Potter and then pretend that the force in Star Wars is okay. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's magic, too. Yep. And Darth Vader, he's a Sith Lord, which is the embodiment of evil. And so, like, we can't be okay with showing our kids Star Wars, which most people are, and then be like, Harry Potter is witchcraft. You have to be consistent. So, like, the way I, I apply this is don't let, just don't let either thing be the thing that teaches your children about good and evil or about magic or about what's real. Because the problem, and we, we talked about this earlier about when we were talking about the foundations, the temptation is to be like, magic isn't real. And then the child reads... Jesus rose somebody from the dead. Well, he not part only of the that, the, the Egyptian um, magicians threw their staffs on the ground. They turned into dragons. So Absolutely. you got to do Mo- something with that. Moses throws his staff down. Like yeah. there's like Simon the, the Witch Sorcerer. The Witch of Endor calls, like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're yeah. talking over each other. Like, so like magic, you have to have a category that there is power that we don't understand. Take these times when you're reading Harry Potter or whatever. And if your conscience doesn't allow you, don't sin against your conscience. But yeah, if it does, sure. like mine does. When you're reading it, use these as, as ways to show like what's the lie that's being told, that the evil magic is as powerful as the good magic, and then just frame it against the real truths. All art is a reflection of what is real or what is somebody's perceived as real. None of it's God's word, you know, except for God's actual word. We can tie a lot of what we see in art and in culture, so Star Wars or whatever, Harry Potter, to point out what's wrong about Harry Potter and use it to teach something good. The one thing I would say, like, I'm not aware of, like, I'm not a Wiccan, so I have no idea if any of those, like, spells that Harry Potter uses are real spells that Wiccans and all the, I don't, is it Wiccans that actually use magic? I have no idea, but, like, what real... Yeah, potions and stuff, but... Yeah, yeah. what real witches use and things like that, I don't know. In this this situation, ignorance is a little bliss, like, where it's like, because that doesn't affect my conscience, because I actually, I... I just recognize it's all make-believe. Yeah. And I, again, somebody's going to be, well, what about the potions? And all? What do you think healthcare is? It's potions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so like if you're taking Tylenol, you're taking potions. So right. again, we just have to be consistent. And like, and so it becomes a conscience issue. And it's like, well, there's a whole nother podcast where we could talk about like, if somebody's making a drug for us to take, it has side effects. Like, 
are they not just doing the same thing as a witch who's stirring in a cauldron and be like, drink this and this person will fall in love with you? Like, well, it's like, is it FDA approved though? Cause that's the, that's the real, <laughs> you know what? Nowadays, if it isn't, it's better. Yeah, um, so, but so, I mean, yeah, but okay. So you actually went to where I was, I wanted to come back in. Um, so you already got there with me and you said, point out the lies. So this comes back to something that we've talked about many times on this podcast, spot the lie. Yeah. It's very it, annoying to watch a movie with you and your kids because you keep <laughs> pausing it. Yeah. So uh, this is what we do at our house. Like if we're watching even, even the Mario movie, we, I, I paused the Mario movie once in the middle of it uh, to, to play spot the lie with. And so we do this often. The one that I use often is uh, one of the first times when I was watching Frozen with my daughter. This is why I, I joke about it, because right in the middle of the big ballad where she's, you know, singing, you know, I'm free. What's that? Um, let it go. Yeah, let that's it, go, it. Let it go. Let it go. There's a line in it. And as I heard the line, I'm like, I have to address this. And the line is, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And so I paused it and said, there was a lie in there. Did you spot the lie? And so we just play this all the time now. We play this when we're watching movies. So like teach your kids, no matter what age they are, to spot the lie. You're teaching them discernment. And so the lie in that Frozen, as I said, you know, notice that she says that freedom and happiness come by throwing off the rules. But what does God's word actually tells us? God's word actually tells us that freedom comes and joy follows it within the boundaries that God has given to us. It's actually slavery to wander outside of the boundaries that God has given to us. It's not a throwing off of rules and regulations and laws and right and wrong. It's that actually living within the boundaries of God's created world is what love is. You point out lies and you do it in a way that is age appropriate for your kids and all that kind of stuff. But I would let them read it. I would let them read Harry Potter and then ask them, spot the lies, right? And that's actually a good, like early on, we're doing this right now with our daughter, Quinn, who's reading chapter books now. And we'll ask her at the end, her sort of school assignment isn't just to read, but I wanted to read and, and to understand that she comprehends it well enough. It's like, okay, I want you to spot the lie in that chapter. And there's generally a lie in every chapter, even if there isn't. So like right now she's reading a lot of Amelia Bedelia, which is just kind of silly stuff, but like she'll come up with like silly lies, like not like cultural insidious lies, but she'll come up with like little things. And but it's um, training the mind, but it's training her mind to be, to read things discerningly and, and all that kind of stuff. So play spot the lie with your kids. Yeah. And I would also like throw and in your the, wife yeah. and, and yourself <laughs> and, and your friends. Yeah. I would also throw in like a lot of people who are like, Oh, like anti Harry Potter or whatever are blaming Harry Potter for something that they're like, and this might sound harsh, but something that they're failing in because a lot of people use TV as the primary teaching on something or just right. to be their babysitter and not like, I don't want to spend time. So I'm going to put them in front of a screen for right. two and a half hours or let them read the book. No one's advocating letting your kid read Harry Potter when they're seven, when their mind is still being formed 12, 13, the foundation has been laid. Not that I believe on all these statistics, but a friend of mine just said one that like most people who continually follow Christ make that decision sometime between four and 14. Yeah. Well, Harry Potter doesn't start till like he goes to Hogwarts in his first year. He's 11. If your kid's 10, 11, 12, if you're into it, that's when that process would start where their foundation's been laid mm. so that when they get to see Voldemort, they don't think he's equal to Harry or whatever. They're recognizing that's fiction and all, and all this stuff. It's not options anymore. Right. If your kid's going to fall away, it's more on or be corrupted. It's more on the fact that you're not parenting well enough. It's not Harry Potter's fault is like, where was, we have this tendency to blame 
the external factors rather than what's happening in the house. Right. And so it's like mostly men are listening to this. Dad, it's your fault. And that sounds super harsh, but I mean like just yeah. so the, te- the, the, the teach pra- your kids these things, lay proper foundations, be aware of the art that they're intaking, help them spot the lies, talk them through those things, and also be responsible for what art they're intaking and yeah. make decisions and that are age appropriate and be present and be involved in their education. Yeah, you know what I mean, like it's sure. like that that's I would say that's one. like the last little scraping the the stuff off the top there um, in terms of like, even with a lot of like homeschooling and stuff like that, it still becomes mom's job. You know what I mean? And and we all recognize generally speaking, 90%, 95% is going to be done by mom. It's just how it is. But dad take responsibility over what's happening in the education as well. So that when things come up, you're present to set the tone, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, one more question. I won't say the name of this, not because it's anything, but it is somewhat personal. So I won't say the name, but this person sent an email and has been enjoying the cosmology series. So had an experience that happened over the course of about a year and a half that him and a coworker and another guy who goes to that coworker's church essentially all had a very similar dream and all had it within about a year and a half long span, and it all took place between 2 and 3 a.m. The dream was this. I was placed into an iron cage-like elevator and was descending into hell with a man-like figure dressed in black clothing, in which I could not see his face. The surroundings were very dark, with an amber glow coming from the depths. Partway into our descending, I would wake up in a panic attack and was naturally fearful of trying to go back to sleep. At times, a voice suggested that I take my 45 and kill myself and find out what happens or where I'll end up. A Christian friend suggested that it was a spiritual attack meant to frighten us or doubt our salvation. Fortunately, we had praying friends to help us through this. If you don't mind, I would like to know your thoughts on this, especially since the three of us had nearly identical experiences within a short window. Go. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know this person at all, and I don't know his friend. So there's a couple ways, like I'm not trying to be Daniel and interpret the dream here. I'll be careful how I wear this. God is sovereign over all things, including your dreams. Yep. Could your dream be a warning about your salvation? Absolutely. Could it be a shared experience that all three of you had? It's weird that all three of you are dreaming the same thing. I don't have a category for that. What I don't think can happen is I don't think Satan can make us see things in our brains. If we're Christians, I should point that out. Like, because first John tells us those who walk in the light in them, there is no darkness. There is that avenue that we can invite Right. That's, attack yeah. onto us. So I would say I'm less concerned about what the dream is trying to teach in terms of like, I'm glad to hear that you were relieved while your Christian friends prayed for you for it. But I would use that as kind of like turn the gaze inward. What in my life yeah. needs to be eradicated in terms of like, maybe it is something in your life that's dragging you. Now I'm interpreting the dream, like dragging <laughs> you, dragging you down or holding you back or, or right. that sounded very prosperity gospel, but I didn't mean it like that. But I meant like there, there might be something that you're secretly holding on to in your, yeah. in your life. Like that gentleman earlier with the pornography, right? That is potentially soul destroying to you, even if it doesn't lead you to hell specifically, but like it's going to cripple your ministry. It's going to destroy it. And so turn the gaze inward, but like this would be one of those categories of like, I would want to talk yeah. personally <laughs> more, with the person. More so than, than, than just interpret the dream from afar. Yeah, like but, let's, let's chat more about it. So first of all, I would say like whatever voice it was that you heard that was telling you to take your own life, that would not be God. That would not be from God. That would be, you know, so whether that's your own mind, whether or not that's the enemy trying to seed your mind, 
And this is what I would just say, like, we, again, just like Chris said, we, we have to be careful not to attribute to Satan power that Christ has. So Satan is not omniscient. He does not know all things. He cannot put thoughts into your mind. But what he can do is through the power of suggestion, you have to remember that these are ancient beings that have been around since the dawn of time and studying humanity with the goal of destroying it since the dawn of time. They know human psychology more than we do, more than any doctor, more than any PhD, right? You think when you watch The Mentalist that you're amazed? These are supernatural beings that have been hell-bent on destroying humanity for over 6,000 years. So the ability for them to suggest things and to try to lead you down a path and to haunt you, so to speak, I think that those things can certainly happen. I think they can even happen to Christians where, like we said, have, have seeded or have surrendered areas of their life, secret sin, all that kind of stuff to the enemy. Yeah, I'd be the same. In terms of the dream, I mean, the shared experience is a little bit funky. You know, was there something, right? I think about even just that idea. Do you remember the dream that Leonardo DiCaprio is happening at the end of Inception where they're going down in that elevator near the end where he, the top famously kind of wavers, but we don't know how the movie ends. Do you think he was dreaming or? The top isn't his anchor. It's the ring. Yeah, right? so, there you go. Yeah. See, so you, got it. So, like, so you got it. You yeah, got yeah. it. You weren't fooled like the masses. Okay. But I'm just picturing that that's a very like hell-like dissension into, you know, a, a, a kind of abandoned basement sort of place. That came to my mind as I was reading through your story. And I only say that, was there a famous movie that came out that sort of had some of this imagery that mm. some sort of demonic force could be using in order to, in your subconscious, plant a similar thing? I don't know. But here's what I would say. Interesting. I'll, I'll blow your mind a bit, Chris. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Right before I actually got saved... So I grew up in the church. I grew up in the, a pastor's home. Even when I was doing my high rebellion against God, I knew that God existed. I just didn't think that I was disciplined enough to follow him or to, you know, whatever. And so all of my rebellion was a sort of like, well, you know, I can't be good enough to get saved anyway, so I might as well just whatever. And it wasn't until I got saved when I heard, uh, when God opened my ears to the idea of penal substitutionary atonement, that he died for me. Like, I didn't, ha I don't have to. Anyway. It was leading up to the actual gospel that I heard and what God was doing in my life. He put, uh, interestingly of all books, a, a book, The Case for Christ in my hand, Lee Strobel, through Campus Crusade and all this kind of stuff. But when I actually got saved, several weeks before that, I actually had a reoccurring dream. I had it three nights in a row. The first night I woke up on literally a, a bed of pins. So I woke up in my dream and I'm on a bed of pins, like picture like millions and millions of pins that are like side by side next to one another so that they they create like a flat surface mm. but i woke up and my back was sort of like bleeding and and sore because i'd woken up and my back was all um like stuck into the, some of these pins so i get off and i go and and i'm in this like kind of like a cave room and it's all like rocky around me but on the ground it was sort of like you know that like molten rock look you know where yeah, it's yeah. like kind of orangey and black and everything that's what the that looked like and there was one door so I go and uh, to the the door of my room and I open it up and there's this long hallway I can't even see to the end of it but there's all this black broken glass down the hallway and so I, I just kind of open the door and I wake up in a panic and I'm just like that was scary. The next night I had the same dream 
exact same scenario, except when I opened the door, I walked down the hallway. And so as I'm walking, picture like, uh, it, it, I'm going to make it uh, uh, funny right now, but it wasn't funny at the time. Picture like Home Alone when, uh, when Merv comes in through the window and he's stepping on all the glass ornaments and he's cutting up his feet. It was like that. Like I'm walking down, my feet are bleeding and picking up broken glass. Like it was this awful, awful dream. And I'm, but I'm walking because it's the only way out of this room. And I get to the end and there's another door and I open up that door and it's like, there's this giant cylindrical chasm that goes down as far as I can see. And around the chasm, there's a very, very thin ledge and there's just doors all around this chasm. So like I just opened one of like millions and millions of doors and the chasm went down as far as I could see. There was a bit of a glow at the bottom of it and it went up as far as I could see. It was just black up. And again, I woke up and I woke up in a panic, super afraid. Like at the time, I think I smoked. So I, I like got up, had a smoke. Like I was just, you know, totally panicked. And then the third night I had the same dream. Except this time when I got to the chasm, I decided I was going to try to walk across the like narrow ledge to the next door. But as I was going, I fell and I was falling down towards the the fire, the lava or whatever was at the base of it. And I woke up again. It was interesting because like I never really identified anything. I just knew that those were terrifying dreams. I had the same dream three nights in a row. It progressed like that. And it was like two weeks later when I was handed Case for Christ and started talking to a guy who's part of campus ministry who shared the gospel with me. And I think whatever that happened, my heart was far more receptive because I was so terrified of going to hell, which is what how I sort of interpreted that dream. And so I think God used that just to scare me and prime me to get me ready for the good news. So I only say that story not because I think that's necessarily what's going on with this guy, But I mean, think of how important dreams are throughout scripture, right? And so I would just say to this guy, like you said, is what was that dream referring to? I have no idea. But I think our first assumption always should be, like you said, to turn the gaze inward. And what is this saying to me in terms of like, what is it that God's trying to wake me up to? What is it that God is trying to maybe show me in my life? And maybe there is a hidden sin, like that first story. Maybe there's pornography, maybe there's whatever, or there was at the time. It sounds like this was several years ago. And was that a dream that God had sent to a few people who were loosely connected because he was trying to get them scared straight into taking their faith seriously? I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that God has a way of using these things, not in a weird, charismatic way, but just in a very practical, our dreams are our subconscious and and what we're thinking about, what's going on in our psyche, the guilt that we feel, the shame that we feel, all these kinds of things play into what it is that we're dreaming about at night and God's sovereign over those things and he can use anything. Yeah, we have a good friend, well, not a good friend, friend who their testimony was they lived in a, I think it was Yemen yeah, that they, yeah, that they right. lived in and didn't know Christianity existed. Jesus appeared in a dream and said, you need to follow me, became a Christian, lost everything, had to flee the country and like became like is a Christian, but it's like the, his testimony is like pretty insane. a dream. The details aren't important. The, the important thing is where he ended up is that it led him to the Lord. And I would say like in your dream, who knows what all those, Im- that imagery meant. Who knows? Seems pretty clear. But the important thing is that God used that thing that maybe was even meant for evil. Totally. For and his good. And that's Genesis um, fifty twenty, right? Like it, what exactly. you meant for evil, God meant for good. So in any of this kind of stuff, the question is, how is God going to use this for his glory and for our good? Yeah.
right? Absolutely. So that's, that's the way that should be asked. Yeah. Okay, this has been a long episode, so we should probably wrap it up. Those are all the questions that we got in. I think we're going to wrap up the biblical cosmology series there, and uh, maybe we'll re- revisit some of these themes in the future, but we'll stop it there. If you have any other questions, shoot your emails out, and we'll uh, we'll just answer them through email. Or, as you learned earlier in the episode, Facebook Messenger, where Chris will get back to you in a more prompt way. That's how long this episode was, and I forgot that we said that in this episode. I thought <laughs> yeah. it was the... Like, was so we should wrap this thing up. <laughs> right. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Bye, guys.